Hello and welcome to Med Talks, conversations by medical students for medical students. I'm Deborah and this is my partner Joey. Welcome guys. And today we're going to be talking about something that generally causes quite a bit of stress amongst medical students and that would be clinical exams. Mm. But thankfully for us, we have a, a wonderful doctor in studio with um, that is joining us today that is going to help give us some tips and tricks and help ease us into this examination process. Thank you very much, Deborah. Yes, very welcome, dear listener. To discuss today's topic, we will be speaking to the one and only Rutger van Gruten. He studied medicine at the University of Pretoria and graduated with a cum laude in the year of 2019. He is currently a first-year intern at Tigerberg Hospital in the beautiful Western Cape. Rutger, thank you so much for joining us today. I just want to ask how you're doing, how's your day been, and uh, how's, the, how's the situation looking in the Western Cape? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, things have been going quite hectic in the Western Cape, as you've been seeing on the news probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all in all, it's uh, been a challenging but also rewarding experience, I guess. Um, it's not every day you can say that you practice medicine in the time of a pandemic or <laughs> epidemic. So and especially as a first-year intern, you've really been thrown into it. <laughs> yeah. Every time someone asks you to do something, um, I think sometimes you forget that you, you're a doctor now and they're actually <laughs> asking you, not the doctor behind you. You have to kind of know your stuff. Mm, responsibility to answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Alrighty. Well, we're, we're really happy to hear that uh, you seem to be enjoying yourself uh, amidst the, the, the crisis going on. But um, let's get down to it. So first thing first, um, could you please explain to the listeners what exactly a clinical exam is and where in medical school would you be expected to do one? So basically, I see a clinical exam as a trial period for being a doctor. Um, That 30 minutes or 45 minutes you have with that patient is where someone will expect you to act like a doctor and see that patient basically from start to finish and come up with a plan. So basically starting with taking a history, um, figuring out why they're actually in hospital or came to seek help, mm. and then from there going, trying to kind of narrow down the problems to a few differentials, which is basically your step three. Mm. And then step four is basically coming up with a plan to rule out or include your differentials. So that's basically how I see a clinical examination in medical school. Um, And basically, you can expect to encounter it in your main uh, disciplines like surgery, internal medicine, pediatrics, kind of the pillars of uh, medicine. All those tough rotations. Yeah. The, <laughs> the ones that yeah. are really crammed together, yeah. one after another. <laughs> exactly. All leading up to that final clinical exam. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone with their notes there the week before, like, I don't guys, do you know about this? This, this <laughs> is stressing me out further. I don't think I could ever forget my first clinical exam. We did pediatrics, and um, I felt like that was actually a bit of a disaster because the baby wouldn't stop crying. So you can't even really do the exam. So I think that just kind of adds to the intensity and the stress of it. But I think the way that you put it is really beautiful. It's mm. your kind of your trial run into being a doctor you're like pretending to <laughs> be a doctor 30 minutes of fame <laughs> yeah. can make or break you <laughs> yeah 
Exactly. So it's it's basically, yeah, just they want to see you being a safe doctor, um, seeing your kind of lateral thinking. I think that's important in this uh, instance, is lateral thinking in a clinical exam. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Ritka, tell me, what was your specific approach to clinical exams in med school? How did your studying differ compared to studying for a theoretical test? And also, what research, um, I mean, what, what resources did you use? So, basically, I think it's quite different to study for a clinical exam and theoretical tests. Um, mm-hmm. As I previously mentioned, like a clinical exam tests your lateral thinking, kind of combining all the knowledge you've gained in a practical and theoretical sense and kind of applying that, um, which makes it all the more difficult. Oh, definitely. Um, so basically my approach to to kind of start to study for it is to kind of get my own system going for each um, rotation, you know, surgical or Internal medicine is quite different in their approaches, yeah. although the same. But you understand what I mean. Like uh, definitely. Yeah. You get, we get told a lot, you need to find your own approach, which is actually, it's very important because I think you, everyone is obviously very different. So you have to find what works for you. Exactly. Something that you'll remember and also apply one day because a clinical exam is not just to get a mark and walk out of there. It's kind of to prepare you of how your every day is going to be. Like even now for me working in casualties, I can, it's so humorous seeing the patients in the casualties that is exactly the patient I had in like one of my clinical exams, for instance. (laughs) You'll never forget it. (laughs) Nice coincidence. Exactly. So it's, it's kind of a training for, for that. So I think the approach one should take for, for clinical exam is to, it's kind of my motto was practice makes perfect. So I used every opportunity I could to actually examine patients. Um, so it, it's a lot of practical and theoretical integration. So mm. the theoretical things you can do at home, fine. Um, you can study by yourself, read articles, read up-to-date, read textbooks. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that practical component, I don't think you'll perform as well because you need to be in the wards, be in casualties, be on your calls as a student, seeing patients, examining them, try to come up with a differential diagnosis. And then if you present it to a doctor, you need to kind of take in what they tell you because at the end of the day, most likely one of them or their bosses will be sitting on your exam panel, examination panel. So yeah. That was kind of my approach, mm. to yeah. just go examine as many patients as possible. Important to make use of that time that you are in clinical rotation to see patients. I mean, there's a lot of times <laughs> I'm approaching, especially a clinical exam, where you want to get off early from rotation to go study, mm-hmm. but then at the end of the day, you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're not using that time to actually yeah. see patients. And you need to know what normal looks like so that you know what you're actually looking for. Uh, what abnormal exactly. looks like, which I think is something, it's very difficult. It can, it's the simplest of things. Like even when you're just looking for pala, for example, if you don't know what a normal <laughs> looks like, you will not know what abnormal when is. When the doctor asks you what's normal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't exactly. know. 
Um, so this is obviously it's a very stressful taste for medical students. Um, it's I think some of the moments in medical school that you'll never forget. They're like pinnacle moments for you. But can you just tell us what ways um, do you think and what ways do you use to lessen your stress and your anxiety that's associated with this clinical exam? So what I'm going to say sounds very counterintuitive, but um, <laughs> I always told myself it, it takes a lot more work to fail a clinical exam than to pass it. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> do elaborate. They, they have a lot of paperwork to fill out when they fail you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in mind. I didn't know this. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think a lot of people get things misconstrued and they stress themselves out because they they feel like they need in 30 minutes get to a final diagnosis and treatment plan and cure the patient in 30 minutes when actual fact and reality that patient's been in that ward for a week being worked up, being tested and all of that and special investigations and all of that. So I always told people that they need to focus on the history and physical exam. You do not need to uh, make a final diagnosis in your clinical exam right there and then. Um, so that's the one thing that made me stress less is that, you know, you don't have to make a final diagnosis. Yeah, that kind of takes, right there. Yeah, it takes the pressure off. Exactly. You just need to do what you've been doing for seven weeks, for instance, if you're an SIC. So just keep on doing that. Kind of see it as a casualty patient that you're going to present to a doctor in in a while. Well, that's a comforting, um, comforting thought, actually. Yeah, I've never actually thought exactly. about it like that. And then I would also say, so me and my two best friends, Shanae and David, we... Mm-hmm. Um, usually before clinical exams, we got together and kind of practiced exams on each other, like techniques and stuff like that, just to kind of get our systems... In the mode, in the zone. Exactly. So we all kind of got together and we formulated our own systems, for instance, cardiovascular. Mm. You start with this, you go there, you do this, like to get into that habit of actually doing it. Mm. Um so we practiced on each other, like the, the the process thereof, and quizzed each other. So I think for me, obviously, it depends on everyone's personal style of studying and all of that. But for me, it honestly, like it's it's I know it's helped me so much by just mm. for that evening before, just running through a few things with my friends, yeah. um, practicing the clinical exams. Like it's it's helped me a lot. Obviously, it will depend on your personality and like how you study. Yeah, but but it's for it's, me that's that's how it's it's definitely useful. Mm, different strokes for different folks, but I have to agree with yeah. you, Ritka, on that one. Um, my friends and I, we always do a, a basically a practice run or trial run the night before, and it does. It sets your nerves at ease. It shows you how much your friend yeah. also knows, and you pick up things that they've picked up from a doctor and it's like oh great i can can use this kind of a collaborative session i pull the family members out (laughs) 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 always more than willing to help Uh, ritka you mentioned that taking a good history um is definitely important to the success of your clinical exam 
How does one take a thorough but efficient history that doesn't waste all your limited time? What are some common mistakes med students make when taking a history? I think that one of the biggest mistakes is hammering on little details and <laughs> not going anywhere with that part of the history. That is so true. You can get caught into that trap. And, and <laughs> especially if there's a language barrier, then I think that even becomes yes. a bigger problem. Like sometimes it's not so important to find out the number of their house. <laughs> or exactly. how many children there are. <laughs> yeah. Except if you're in Ghana. Yeah, but yeah. Exactly. So for me, the most important part of a history is basically their main complaint. Yeah. And how long has it been going on, you know, investigating that? Because that'll point you very easily into a direction of where your head's going at with a differential diagnosis mm. or what you should focus on in your physical examination. Because if you do that part properly, um, you can easily kind of find the pathology, you know. Yeah. Um, so that is the part I think people should focus on the most. But sometimes, you know, people fear, of course, a little bit with social history and water. And <laughs> yeah, I've done that. <laughs> Internal med loves the social history. Surgery, on the other hand, is I couldn't care less. Oh, <laughs> could not care less. And that, that, that counts for everywhere I've ever been. <laughs> so, good to hear. <laughs> At least there's consistency. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I think the best thing is to start with your by the patients in the hospital. And I always, if the patient, you know, some of the older patients are very deprived of conversation, mm. so they will start having a very long conversation with you. Mm. Um, so I usually tell them, like, it's my clinical exam. Can we please keep this focused? <laughs> Get to the point. Get to the point. <laughs> Let's be efficient yes. about this. <laughs> so some might see it as rude, but... I mean, it is also, it's, it's your limited 30 minutes and you need to decide how you're going to use it. Yeah. So it is up to you. So how much time would you generally dedicate to a history? Like with your 30 minutes, how would you break your time up? So I usually spend about 10 minutes on history. Okay. Um, focusing on the main points. And, you know, at the end, if you have time left, you can always come back and fill in some of the blanks. Yeah. That's um, true. But you can never kind of make up lost time. Uh, if you have five minutes left and you still have to do your physical exam and all of that, that becomes a problem. So I usually took 10 minutes for my history, 10 minutes for physical examination, and then 10 minutes um, I wrote everything kind of down in a format that I could present it mm. um, and also formulating a differential. and Yeah, ordering your thoughts. That, and everything yes, like that. Ex exactly. And then out of that, um, kind of formulating a, a differential and a plan of how I would exclude or include some of my differentials. And then whatever time's left, you can go back and um, fill in the blanks if you forgot to ask something mm. or anything like that. And mm. then you also know that all your thoughts are ordered and, and, and in order. So you can go back and kind of Fill in, the, fill in the gaps, but yeah. you also know that you'll be able to present proficiently. And I think that's also a, an extremely important part um, yeah. no, definitely. Of, of a clinical exam is presenting your patient in a very confident 
and well-structured manner. Yeah. You can say that again. <laughs> Because sometimes you're yeah. just all over the place, yeah. so it is actually really important. And I never thought of thought about it like that either. Um, because if they can see that your line of thoughts and your thinking, you know, is in order, then they're more likely to obviously trust you as a doctor, firstly, and secondly, give you points. Exactly. To be honest, if you say the liver span is 15 centimeters. I can promise you that prof or consultant sitting in front of you have never seen that patient in their life. <laughs> they won't know. <laughs> measured, yes, That exactly. specific liver, yeah, what are the chances? Exactly. They just know the pathology or the main signs or whatever. So kind of if you find a sign, um, you you have to be confident in what you present because if you sound... Uh, unsure about what you find, then that's kind of the weak spot for them to nail you. And uh, sure, that is true. They, they getting in the mind of the professor, <laughs> <laughs> but they see through you. They do. If if you don't look like you know what you're talking about, they will take you on. I've, yeah. I've, I've I've noticed it as well. I mean, for, I remember saying something about speaking about the the character of the pulse that I was feeling, and I said. Uh, I think it's irregular and the rate is constant. And the doctor just looked at me as like, do you want to try that again? <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm sorry. So, but exactly. bearing all of this in mind, um, so one of the big factors that definitely do determine the success of your clinical exam, as we've spoken about briefly, is your ability to communicate effectively um, with the doctor evaluating you. So what tips um, would you give to ensure that you've, if, like, communicate effectively and are able to answer the questions that they have for you because sometimes it's very nerve-wracking and overwhelming and you kind of hit a blank so my first approach was to be as thorough and clear as possible right from the start and not giving them any uncertainty um, or areas of uncertainty in your presentation yeah because that's usually where they start with their questions is where you were uncertain. Uh, where your lull falls, actually. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it, it, right. Exactly. So where you show that you are unsure or your differential, that's where they start. So you can basically um, determine which questions you get asked um, by sure. the examiner. This is profound by... knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right person to speak to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've never actually thought about it like this. Yeah, so basically, um, you know, one of the tips is when you're listing a differential, don't mention the one in a million thing first <laughs> because is... then they are going to ask you everything about that one in a million thing. <laughs> the one in the million thing that you, yeah, the one in the million thing that you know nothing about, actually. <laughs> yeah, you just know the name exactly. and then. <laughs> You just heard the name somewhere in a ward round. Prof Kerr mentioned it. There you go. So yeah, let me put it out there. Try to be clever and then boom, it's going to backfire. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, kind I, of I think the, the consultant where you want it. Yeah, and I think definitely what you what you said about common things occur commonly. Um, I think we forget that in medical exams. I think we everything that we supposedly have seen as common just flies out the window and you want to give the most elaborate you know diagnosis or statement that you can and it's often well very inaccurate exactly like be confident in what you present and the differential you are presenting 
Because even if they won't put it in their differential, if you can say why you think this should be part of the differential, you're not wrong. Because in your next step, presenting your plan on how to include or exclude everything, Mm -hmm. you can exclude a differential. Um, So rather be thorough in your differential than listing one or two things. Um, yeah, like and, and then use your list. plan, like you said, to exclude or include. Exactly. That, that's been my approach the whole time. And then when also when they ask you a question and you don't understand what the question means or what they want from you, I've never hesitated to ask them, sorry, I do not understand the question. Can you maybe rephrase that? Um, and I've never had a bad reaction to that. Like they've always like rephrase the question to me because at the end it you asking them that doesn't mean that you don't know the answer it's just you're not really understanding what they want from you in that specific situation it also buys you a few extra seconds to give it a think (laughs) to be honest (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure what you mean could you rephrase that please (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean exactly. I just said start with the presentation <laughs> <laughs> exactly so that is definitely a, a trick that I used um, and it no one's ever been rude about it and they've rephrased the question which made it easier to respond that's one to remember exactly. definitely so Ritke could you tell us about a clinical e- exam of yours that you'll never forget about. Tell us about your funniest or your your, your craziest. Your most stressful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is uh, okay. This is terrible. Um, I'm looking forward to so it. <laughs> for surgery uh, last year. I walked into the clinical exam, spotted this patient with this huge neck mass, mm-hmm. um, and I immediately in my head decided this is definitely a thyroid mass. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, took a history, everything classical of a thyroid mass. Um, everything was going beautifully. I studied this. You knew what you precisely. were talking about. <laughs> exactly. Um, examined him, like, mm. remembered everything. And I walked into the room um, with Prof. And he asked me to start presenting. And I presented this beautiful case on a thyroid mass. And he just looked at me and he told me, this patient does not have a thyroid mass. He's <laughs> oh. like, okay, well then. Alarm bells ringing in your head. Like <laughs> what is it? Glass. <laughs> exactly. So now I'm already freaking out my head. I'm literally, I'm, I'm thinking maybe he has the wrong patient because we're obviously not. Like I'm pretty sure this is thing. a thyroid mass. Yeah, probably just go <laughs> check if it's the same one. Yeah. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So in the end, it was a esophageal cancer that's been so big, like it it extended out of his thoracic inlet. Oh my goodness! That's how big it it became. But in that moment, I was freaking out. Um, sure. So, how did you calm end, yourself? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I blank I blanked a little bit and blacked out. Um, but in the end, he like I my ground on it being a thyroid mass, mm-hmm. obviously including it in a differential, and in the end, I didn't receive a bad mark because I could motivate why I thought it was a thyroid mass. Sure. Um, 
and a plan to include or exclude my differential. Obviously, if you're wrong, you're going to search for another cause and another cause, mm. etc. So but that comes back to the, yeah. to the point of kind of not – you don't have to make a diagnosis immediately in that 30 minutes. No, it's like you said, that patient's been in the ward and for how many weeks or this and that, you can't in your 30 minutes – get the definite diagnosis plan and management for this patient and yeah, you've got to be think, have to be okay with that i think the one thing that this conversation has definitely changed my perspective on is that as you said like you don't have to go in this to diagnose your patient you need to go in this to show them that you are able to think and integrate your knowledge um, so that you can obviously move forward as a doctor because it's impossible for you to know absolutely everything. But if you're able to integrate what you do know and you have your approach, that's what they're actually testing you on at the end of yes, the day. Exactly. They, they're not testing, they're testing you on your approach. That's a correct yeah. term for it. It's your approach to something because if your approach is correct, even if the the end result is wrong, i.e. your diagnosis or differential, it still shows that you're going to be a safe doctor and not miss life-threatening or problematic things in a patient. Yeah. And that, that, to be honest, that makes you already a better doctor than a lot of other people. So yeah. just being a safe doctor. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you. But speaking of crazy exam, clinical exam experiences, I'm pretty sure Joey has also had some. But I'll never forget with my internal medicine in fourth year. It was so insane. The moment the doctor in, I changed my diagnosis of what murmur I thought it was. <laughs> like that's how it happens because time goes by so quickly. And I just saw the doctor walking in and I had my stethoscope on the patient's heart. And I was just like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's this murmur. And it was right. So <laughs> very proud of myself. Shotgun that. guess there. Wow. <laughs> Look at you. Safe doctor for who? But anyway, um, Rutka, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show with us today. We really appreciate it. I know myself. I've definitely learned a lot and taken a lot from this, especially I think for us going into our SIC. Uh, um, I think it's definitely something that we're very grateful for. You've imparted some very valuable information, very usable things. Actually, Ritke, it's, it's, been, it's been great. Thank you for your insights. It's a pleasure, guys, and uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and yeah, I hope it's been of some help. Um, but yeah, good luck with SIC. You're also kind of icebreakers on this, going into SIC with a pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll make the best of it. We'll, we'll the most of it. Yeah, we'll definitely try. So, but Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Big pleasure. Thanks, Rutger. Thank you for all the listeners that have tuned in and listened to the show today. Um, it's been a very, very insightful chat that we've had with Ritka, Debbie and I both have learned a lot. Definitely. Um, please would you go check us out on Instagram? Our handle, our Instagram handles at MedTalkZA. Give us a follow. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you want to see or what you want us to speak about and we will get back for you. And that is us. Thanks guys. Bye.